Alright, before we start today's episode, I want to bring up something that's no secret and is going to revolve around our discussion today, and that's the issue of equal pay. So, I was online the other day, and I read an interesting study that found 83% of women believe men are paid more than women for the same work, compared to 61% of men who believe this same statement. So, where are we today with equal pay in the workplace? Have we made progress? You know, where did it all begin? That's what we'll be discussing today. Well, it's time for episode 35 of the ROI podcast presented by the Kelly School of Business on the IUPUI campus here in downtown Indianapolis. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Shane Simmons, and I've got my friend Phil Powell, who's the Associate Dean of Academic Programs at the Kelly School, sitting beside me co-piloting the podcast. Uh, How are you doing today? Hey, Shane. I'm really excited to talk about this very important and timely topic. Yeah, as our listeners heard in the opening of the show, we're talking about something that's hard to believe we're still having this conversation in 2018, right? And, you know, it comes down to pay equality. And Phil, as dean to a business school, as a scholar, and just as a person in general, when people are paid unequally for the same work, doesn't that hurt our economy in the grand scheme of things? Absolutely. If you have person A and person B, and they're doing the same work, and they have similar experience, and they're just as good at the outcomes... But one is paid less than the other. It makes no sense. That just creates a sense of jealousy and doesn't help your culture. And it's hard to believe we're still having this conversation today. It's more relevant today, Shane, than it was 50 years ago, than it was 100 years ago. And you're about to hear from Clinical Associate Professor of Marketing at the Kelly School, Kim Saxton, who's a mentor to many women professionals and works with a lot of women on these issues. And I don't know if the Me Too initiative is giving rise to this, but it's something, first, people need safe working conditions. But in addition, they ought to be the same people, ought to be paid the same for the same work, irrespective of gender or race. And so we know it's an issue. And so if I were talking to a man, the first thing I would say is just own up that it exists. So there's still some people who are debating whether, in fact, this gap exists. And study after study done as rigorously as possible, controlling for all different kinds of factors, um, does show that there is a gap, right? And so we need to recognize that it's there, first of all, and we need to think about, well, why has it gotten there? And the other thing about the gap is that it's not a new gap. It's a gap that's been around for a long time. If you pull up articles from the 60s, they were talking about equality of opportunity for women in 1961. And if we go back to 1963, President Kennedy and the Congress passed the Equal Pay Act, which made it illegal to differentiate pay based on skill, effort, responsibility, or working conditions in the United States. I must say I am a a strong believer in equal pay uh, for equal work. And And yet we still have a big pay gap. How does that happen? Well, there are systematic differences that are occurring that are difficult to control for. First of all, one of the ways that pay does get differentiated is based on experience. Remember I said skill, effort, responsibility, working conditions. Experience is a valid reason to differentiate pay. Women tend to take time out of the workforce, so therefore they tend to have less experience. So that's one thing that people can justify is I should pay him more because he's been at this longer. The second thing is that women tend not to negotiate for their pay, while men do. So women don't, just don't ask that question. I mean, personally, with the group of women that I mentor, 
I encourage every one of them who's changing jobs to ask for something. It's really shocking to me that many of them will say, oh, I love this offer. It's exactly what I wanted. I said, now pretend you're a man. What would you want? And 100% of them have gotten more than they were asking for at the start. So that tells me that that companies are used to people negotiating. And if women aren't negotiating, it must be the men who are, right? But some companies are trying to take steps to fix this. But before we get into what some companies are doing to combat this issue of gender pay equality, there are still the behaviors that some would argue are involuntarily embedded within us, even if we don't think or even realize that we have a bias. Yeah, that's really interesting. And something that Kim said that I didn't realize, and that plays into this whole conversation, is that when men and women are judged on their performance, both men and women will evaluate the same performance from a man as better than the performance from a woman. Both men and women do this. And so when you have pay being based on performance, you can see how this causes an unfair reality for women. You know, Shane, you're right. And I want to note, this is so pervasive, like you said, that you have women downscoring other women. And not only do we see this in the workplace, but we see this in controlled experiments that informs research on the topic. And so Kim explains how some of these experiments worked to give us better insight on this question. Some of it was like looking at objective performance, right? So maybe you would... um you would look at a group of people and say, like, subjectively, how do I evaluate their performance? And then we might look at some objective criteria, like time it took, number of errors, those kinds of things. And there's been some research where they had um, violin players play uh, a piece, a violin piece. And when the audience could see what the gender was, they rated the men more highly. And when they couldn't see what the gender was, they rated them equally. Occasionally, some studies have actually found the women's performance was better. Harvard actually sets this test up in the classroom in the instruction of a case. You know, Harvard uses the case method. And so they introduce a case to the class. And Kim describes a very interesting story about how this case is taught that leads to eye-opening results. Yeah, so this was an interesting case that they did where they took the profile of a a really good um, networker, someone who created connections out in Silicon Valley, an actual real person, um, and had jobs that kind of moved towards creating these connections at technology firms and um, venture capital firms. And they gave the case to half the students where it was a man, and the other half the students, it was a woman. And then Before they came into class, they had to fill out a survey about things like, how much do you like this person? How much would you be willing to work for this person? And when the group of people who had the person as a woman was always significantly rated lower than the man. So it was like, yes, they're an effective networker, but no, I would not want to work for them, and no, I don't like them. So I think there's maybe three or four things that we could do or that I would think about doing if I was a male CEO looking at this situation. First of all, you need to have a periodic review. Where are we? You know, so let's lay everything out by skill, effort, responsibility, and working conditions, and let's just see, are we paying people equally? You know, Salesforce did this in 2016, and they did it in 2017, and each year they had to adjust pay by $3 million when we were being underpaid. Now, I would say on an annual basis, $3 million out of $11 billion is 
probably not a bad investment. But it repeated the next year. So they even in one year, they had seen it creep back in. So you have to have periodic inspection of it. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think sometimes we make assumptions about what people are interested and willing to do. You know, so maybe there's an overseas assignment and you say, and you look around and say, who should we give this overseas assignment to? And you think, oh, you know, she's a woman and she's got kids. She's not going to be able to travel. Well, why are you making that choice for her? Instead of making assumptions about who would be interested in what, open the playing field. Give everybody a chance at all the promotions. Let them self-select if they want that kind of responsibility or that um, work life. So I think being mindful that you are eliminating people is important. The third thing I think is you have to actually ask yourself who's not at the table, right? So the easiest thing is that we tend to um, support people who are like us. So white men tend to support white men, white women tend to support white women. But ask yourself, do I have a diverse team who's not been invited? Find those people. It's not that those people don't exist, it's that they don't occur to you to invite them. And every time I step back and ask that question, I find somebody who I'm like, wow, that person is a great asset. I wish I had thought about that. Because those are little promotions that'll add up to bigger promotions. And lastly, and the last thing is, and back to that periodic thing, is that we know that the wisdom is that people respect what you inspect. And so some people are really excited about the latest news out of Iceland about equal pay. And really, it wasn't so much the equal pay because they already had that in place. They knew it wasn't working. What Iceland did is they put in an annual certification for employers with more than 25 employees that they have to prove that, in fact, they're paying them equally. So in your own organization, set up annual inspection of the strategic outcomes you want to accomplish and people will perform to them so if we were to step back and explore what we can do as managers in an organization when it relates to these issues we've talked about some different things to look out for but phil where do you start where do you begin in this whole process it's a great practical question shane you know kim sums up some practical steps that an organization can take immediately and answers your questions. Yeah, I think the first thing is just look around and ask yourself, you know, are we biased? You know, so if there are awards, who's winning the awards? Are people of color, are women winning awards at the same rate that men are? If you're seeing promotions, are you seeing promotions for women and people of color at the same rate that you're seeing for white men? If you're seeing people leaving, are the people leaving are there any gender or race biases there? So just sort of observe. I'm, many organizations, many managers, they just never ask the question, do we have a bias? The first most important thing is to sit back and ask, do we have the bias? Maybe get some data to look and see if you actually have some bias. And then what helps for me is I have someone who keeps me accountable. Right? Because I know these biases are natural. I mean, I'm not a bad person. I'm just a person. Um, I have, you know, my significant other will actually be objective and ask, now, are you saying that because of that person's gender or race? Or is that what you're really thinking? So it causes me to step back and ask myself, am I being biased? To be truthful with myself. I don't always like the answers, right? But I like that the question got asked. So this has been a very important discussion. 
The issue of equal pay is an issue for all managers and all organizations. And just when you think that you're being equal, you may not. Take a second look and follow the advice of Kim. One thing that Kim mentioned that I thought was really interesting in this interview was that we have some of these inherent characteristics within us. And sometimes we need someone from an outside, from a you know an extra point of view to be able to say, let's look at how you are evaluating people, performance, and are you holding any sort of bias that you may not even be aware of? And I think that's the key point there is a lot of people may not think that they hold these thoughts with, within their mind, within these biases, but sometimes they, they're there. And so having someone else take a look at that can really open your eyes. And I think it comes down to a good executive lesson, Shane. Do not take the impact of your behavior for granted. Just because you think that you're not having an impact or, or displaying bias doesn't mean that you are not. You constantly have to be revisiting and asking for feedback. Well, we'd like to thank Kelly Professor Kim Saxton for taking the time to chat with us about a topic that's so important in our world and something that we need to continue having these discussions to ultimately solve the problem that we're still facing here in 2018. Of course, we'd be honored if you subscribe to the ROI podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps us out and gives us some feedback on how we're doing and also gives you an opportunity if you have some sort of topic that you want us to discuss. Uh, We would love to hear from you there in those comments. And Phil will be back next week kind of continuing this conversation more from a a business law side of things and some of the things that are holding women back currently uh, in our system and how companies can uh, observe those and and overcome those. 